direct your attention this morning, my friends, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Luke 6, 46 to 49. You'll find that on page 730 if you're using a copy of the scriptures under the seat in front of you. A couple of weeks ago, we ended uh, our, our study that we have been doing, a study on gossiping the gospel, a study on looking at various passages for eight Sundays on the need for us to be about sharing the good news of the gospel of grace. Those that say they have received this gospel and it's been worked in their hearts and in their lives by the work of the Holy Spirit, then we were commanded to go out into the world and gossip that gospel, to take that gospel to others. We begin a new summer series now. I'm going to spend some time at the beginning of the summer in Luke's salvation parables, different parables that Luke's give, Luke gives us about the gift of salvation. Because now having finished that previous uh, sermon series on the need to preach the gospel to others, we now come back and ask ourselves for the next few weeks over and over, has this gospel really been worked in my heart and in my life? It's our opportunity now to turn inward instead of thinking outwardly, but to take the words that we are going to hear over the next few weeks and by the power of the Spirit say, search me and try me, O Lord. See if there is anything in me that is unclean. See if there's anything in me that is against in opposition to that gospel that I say that I believe, that I might repent of that and then live this gospel out in word and deed, in proclamation and in practice. So we begin this morning then with this particular parable from Luke's Gospel, beginning in verse 46 of chapter 6. Hear now the very word of God. Jesus Christ himself speaking says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came and the torrent struck, his house could only stand. Nothing could shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, that house collapsed and it was destroyed completely. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, what we know not teach us. What we are not make us. What we have not give us. That by profession and practice we might cling to this gospel of grace that you've given to us in our sure redeemer, the rock of our salvation, Jesus the Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Early on in our marriage, Jennifer and I went to, uh, uh, to Virginia to attend one of my cousin's weddings. I was in the wedding party, and so we flew out to Washington, D.C. because it was cheaper to get a flight there. My mom and dad were already out there, and they drove down from Virginia, from Norfolk, to pick up uh, Jennifer and me at, at, the, at the Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. Our flight landed in the early evening, mid-evening. By the time we got our bags and we got to the car and we started out, my dad driving a rental car, it was dark. And so we were headed south, headed back towards Virginia, and my dad, you'll remember that pilot who 
has got the gift of direction. He really does. For some reason, we're headed south, and he keeps saying over and over, we are going due north. We are going the opposite direction of what we're supposed to be going. Uh, over and over, he kept saying, we are going due north. What are we doing? We're, we're, this sign is ta- this, this road is taking us in the wrong direction. We're not supposed to be going this way. We're supposed to be going the other way. And I said, but Dad, look at all of the signs on the side of the road that tell us we're going due south. Every one of these signs that we're passing says we're on highway blah, 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 south. And he said, every one of those signs are wrong. We are going due north. I'm telling you, we're going due north. And isn't that the way it is many times, my friends? I mean, let's be honest with one another. Come on, let's think about this series that we're going to spend some time looking over in the next few weeks. Let's be honest with ourselves and say, isn't it very possible many times, my friends, that we say one thing and we actually do another? Isn't it very possible that we think that we are going due south and we're going due north, or we're going north and we think that we're going south? We're doing something that we think to be right when in all reality it is something that we're not supposed to be doing at all. Doesn't our life define that many times? The very words that we profess, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. We believe that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He is sovereign over all. He sustains us. He gives us the gift of eternal life. He gives us the air that we breathe. He empowers us not only to see and receive this gospel that he gives to us as a free gift, but then to live this gospel out. But don't our lives many times reflect something completely different? Don't we say many times we're going this direction when our life really reveals that we're going that direction and we're doing something very opposite from what it is that the scriptures teach us and call us to do? Jesus asks a very important question to the hearers of that day, my friends, but make no mistake... This question is still a relevant question for you and me today, a vital question for you and me today, because this question answered is the difference between life and death. Look at verse 46. What is the question? Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you think that you can actually fool everybody else? And maybe you have. Maybe your spouse is fooled by your Lord, Lord. Maybe your friends are fooled by your Lord, Lord. Maybe all of your relatives are fooled by your Lord, Lord. But I'm not fooled by that, Jesus is saying. Why would you say, Lord, Lord, and then not do what I tell you that you were supposed to do? Then not do what I say. Why is it that you would only profess something and not practice something? Is that not a valuable question for us to ask ourselves today? A vital question for us to ask ourselves today. But it is quite interesting that Luke gives us the Greek word kurios when he says, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios. He repeats it on purpose because the word, Greek word kurios simply means Lord, translated Lord, or Master. And we're in the culture of this particular day, this day of writing, where slavery was part of the culture. And a slave knew that there was only one option for him, and that was obedience. He did not have the... Oh, that air just kicked on. Thank you, Jesus. I feel it. (laughs) Thanks, Jared. You're a man. You're the man, not a man. We knew that. Anyway, uh, why would you call me curios curios? He repeats it two times. 
out of respect. I, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my Master, and I am obligated to obey you. So out of respect, he gives us the word twice. He repeats it uh, for us twice. Why do you call me curios, curios, and yet do not do what I say? For the last few weeks, friends, I've been giving you this in, in theological discussions today. Remember this term, lordship controversy. It's been going on for several years. The lordship controversy simply means this, that we will take Jesus as our Savior, but we will not take Jesus as our Lord. We will take him as our Savior because down deep all of us really do know that we cannot save ourselves. We have to have a divine sacrifice that satisfies the justice of God. And I cannot do that on my own. And so I need Jesus as my Savior. I need him to hang on the cross and die for my sin. But heaven forbid if I'm going to let him reign over my entire life. Heaven forbid if I'm going to let him be the Lord or the master of my life and that my day-to-day -day living is actually going to be under his sovereign care. That is the lordship controversy and that is exactly what Jesus is, is discussing here all the way back in the first century. Why would you profess Lord, Lord, curios, curios, and yet not practice and yet not do? what I have commanded you to do. He gives us then the answer to that question by looking at the illustration of two different lives. The life of one who does what is commanded of him, who obeys, and one who does not. So let's start with a question then and look at the first gentleman here. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? But I will show you what this one is like. The one who actually does say, Lord, Lord, and practice it. He comes to me, he hears my words, and he puts them into practice. He's like a man that builds a house, and he digs down. He digs down deep to get to the rock, the foundation. Notice the, the difference in the words. Notice the change of the context of the words. Why do you say to me, some translations read, why do you say... And then in verse 47, he's like the one who hears. So we move from saying something to now hearing something. Why do you say this with your mouth? Simply profess it. But the one who really says it with his mouth and believes it, who's actually living out the faith, actually begins by hearing. He hears what it is that I say to him. And then after hearing, he puts those words into practice. And he does that by digging down deep to that rock of that salvation, the rock of the foundation. He digs down. He spends some time getting down to that which will bring security, a sturdiness, surety. If you ever come from the north up here, heading south, I do every day on Alma, and I cross over El Dorado, and that big uh, flooring place that's right up here, and just on this side, on the south side of the flooring place, are the, the condos that they're already built on the north side, but now they're building some on the south side. You ever seen those? I've driven by there for, well, a year now, and nothing vertical. Nothing vertical at all. It has taken them forever. I thought I had a bad builder when I was telling you about that guy a few weeks ago. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad I didn't have that builder because nothing vertical forever. The infrastructure has taken forever to get this in. And then they're finally digging down deeper and deeper and they're standing in the trenches running all of the water lines and things like that. They eventually pour the foundation. And now, finally, after 
months, we're seeing something vertical, something that's going up. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You have to take time at the, at the beginning to dig down to get to the rock, to get to the solid part, to get to the foundation. And so the man who says to me, Lord, Lord, and actually believes that I am Lord, practices that by digging down, digging to the foundation. Why? Because the floodwaters will come. The torrents will hit. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to say. He's like the man who builds a foundation, digging down deep. And then the floodwaters come, the torrents strike, but the house could not be shaken. Nothing could shake it because it was well built. Let me put it this way, and pardon the, pardon the strong language, but it's true. When all hell breaks loose... The only one who is ever going to stand, my friend, is the one who is standing on the strength of the foundation, who is Jesus the Christ. Apart from that foundation, we will never stand. When all hell breaks loose and the floodwaters come and the torrent rises, it is the one who has taken the time to dig down to find that rock, to base himself or herself on that rock, who is going to have the certainty, the surety, the strength of being able to endure. Anybody can say, Lord, Lord, when life is good, right? But isn't our faith always tested when it is that hell strikes in a vengeance, when the waters are rising? Isn't that when our faith is really challenged and questioned? And isn't that many times, let's be honest, friends, isn't that many times when we abandon our faith, when our job is gone, when money is gone, when our marriage is being broken to pieces, when our relationships with loved ones, with children, or whatever is being challenged and broken, isn't that really then when the torrent is rising, the floodwaters are rising, we have nothing to dig into, no security, because we have failed to dig down to the foundation. Many people put it like this. I hear this all the time. I'm sure you do too. Well, as long as you have faith, I mean, that's all that matters. And that's, that sounds so good, doesn't it? But it is so wrong. There is an object to our faith. Faith itself will not save us. The object of our faith is the one who saves us. As long as you have faith, that's all that matters. But your faith in what? Faith in yourself? Good luck with that. To, to, to use the, the words of the strong theologian Dr. Phil... <laughs> How's that working for you? That dog just don't hunt. <laughs> no, it will never work for you. It will never work for you. Jennifer had a friend in St. Louis who went to the doctor. She was going to have a medical procedure done one day. And before the procedure, the doctor came in and said, do you mind if before the surgery I, I pray for you? And she said, wonderful response. Everybody would say, whoa, a doctor who wants to pray? Yeah, he must be a Christian. But she says, well... That depends on to whom you're going to pray. That's priceless. That is priceless. As long as you have faith, it's no faith at all. That's, that's Lord, Lord, and not doing what I say. But faith, 
When even in the midst of the rising of the floodwaters is challenged, friends, that is the only place in which we can dig in and find surety and strength. And it is there where we rest in the strength of our Savior, the strength of the one who is the rock of our salvation. There is another man that's printed here for us, that's identified here for us. So let's go back to the question of verse 46 and then jump to 49 and see his response. The question Jesus asked, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, curios, curios, and yet do not do what I say? The one who hears my words, now see there's the, trans, the difference, the contrast going from what he, what he says now to what he hears. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice it's like the man who built a house right on the ground with no foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. And destruction was absolutely complete. You see what he does, friends? He does not take the time to dig down to the rock. He builds his house right on the, right on the ground, right on top of the ground. I, I went to Broken Bow, Oklahoma, to do some fly fishing about a month ago. And they have been deluged with these floodwaters of this stream uh, from the floods of last spring and then into the, into the winter and now this, this spring as well. And the river looks completely different. I'm standing in the river about a month ago and I'm looking upstream and it is solid rock on both sides with these jagged edges of all these different levels of rock. And it never looked like that ever before. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, all of you could see in the trees, debris in the trees way above uh, the top of the river where this river with great force, the floodwaters rose. And what they did was wash away all of the topsoil that was about four inches on top of these layers of rock, and it washed every bit of the topsoil downstream. And even the roads, there's this beautiful asphalt road that makes a great big circle through the park, and it looks so pretty because it was nice and asphalt, you know, right on top of the ground, real dark with those bright white stripes down the side and the yellow stripes down the center. It looked so pretty. And then the floodwaters came. And now you're fishing the river and you walk and there's a chunk of asphalt just right up against the, uh, hanging out of the water about this big, all up and down the river. Because it's right on top of the ground. All they needed to do was dig down into the foundation. All of that topsoil is gone. That's what this man is doing. He is saying, Lord, Lord, but he's not hearing anything. And by not hearing, he's certainly not putting into practice anything. It looks so pretty on the outside, but then all hell strikes and the floodwaters begin to rise. The torrent begins to rise. And look what it says. It collapsed and it was totally destroyed. Another illustration, maybe you can, maybe you hadn't been to Broken Bow. This fence that runs all the way around the back of our property, it looks so pretty, doesn't it? It really looked pretty a few years ago when these houses were built. And the guy who put in all of these fences really had the plan, man, I got to tell you. He really had the plan because he put in these six-foot wooden picket fences. It looked great, but he cut costs. He cut corners. He didn't take time to do what he needed to do. He dug those fence posts, and then he took that four-by-four four fence post, and he stuck it right down in the ground, and he covered it with dirt, and he didn't put a bag of concrete down in there. 
there's no foundation. And any given day that I come into the office after a nice storm that's blown through, you ought to see the number of fences that are leaned over just like that. And such is this guy here. No foundation. Because it's just easier this way. It's faster this way. It looks so pretty on the outside. But when all hell strikes, my friends, when everything falls apart, every relationship, every job, all the money, when all of that fails, if you have nothing to hold on to, it's because you haven't dug down and now can dig into that very one who is the rock of our salvation. Friends, I want to show you something very, very quickly. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know this word. They're called the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic simply means the same. They are the same. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you basically read the same story in, uh, from the perspective of each one of the individual authors. John is not a synoptic gospel because it has a lot of differences. There are no parables in John. John is the only one who gives the eight I am sayings and so forth. So John is quite different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, this is the beginning of the same account that we just read from Luke chapter 6. Look how Matthew begins right before... Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord? Look what he says in verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, curios, curios, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, listen, friends, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And then he goes into the same text that we just read from Luke. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who digs down and builds a foundation. You see that? Some at the end are going to say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus himself is going to say, I never knew you. Now turn to the right to chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 24. There Jesus says this, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. (laughs) That's good news. Even these false prophets and apostles will seek to deceive even the elect, but it isn't possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. What does that mean? He's told us ahead of time in verse, or chapter 24 what we read in chapter 21 of verse 7. That there are going to be many who will come and they will say, Lord, Lord, and they will seek to deceive us, but I am going to say to them on that final judgment day, away from me, I never knew you. Here's why, by way of application, what this means for us today, friends, and that's this. There should be no surprises to us in life. Listen, listen. The church is getting more and more and more liberal. But that should be no surprise to us because Jesus has already told us. There are religious people who say, Lord, Lord, but will never inherit the the kingdom because Jesus does not know them. So it should not surprise us that there are false prophets. There are wolves in sheep clothing. 
the country that we live in and all of the problems that we're having and the countries all around the world and all of the problems that they are having should not surprise us because he has already told us the sky is not falling, beloved. We trust in a sovereign God, a sovereign God who holds in the vision. The sky is only falling for those who say, Lord, Lord, and yet do not do. Where is your faith when the torrents rise and the floodwaters rise and everything around us looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket? It's the one in whom we dig into. It is Jesus the Christ who is our sure foundation, our surety, our strength, the rock of salvation. Friends, there is where you need to grab hold. There is your life. There is your only hope. He already told us there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, don't be counted among those, but be counted among the ones who will long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not the ones who will hear, apart from me, I never knew you. A man jumped off a 30th floor building. He was heard to say as he passed the 20th floor, so far, so good. <laughs> but it's not the fall that'll kill you, beloved. It's the sudden stop at the end. That's what will kill you. Jumping off a 30-floor building without the sure hope of security at the end. So let's wrap this all up, friends, with this. What's my favorite word? Grace. Where is grace? Am I saying to you, Friends, just get out there and try harder. Just get out there and practice what it is that you hear. Just get out there and do better. No, no, a thousand times no. You are saved by grace. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, because doggone it, we would boast about it every chance we got. You are saved by grace, and friends, listen, you live by grace. Saved by grace and empowered to live by grace. Look at verse 47, and here is grace. You see, in verse 47, there are three verbs. The verb coming, hearing, and doing. And all three of those verbs in the, in the original manuscripts in Greek are in participle form, I-N-G. They are not the imperatives, the exclamation point. So he is not saying, come to me, exclamation point, by your own power. Hear me, exclamation point, by your, my, your own power. And do, exclamation point, by your own power. He is saying, here I am. Here I am, standing with my arms open wide. Again, after you have blown it yet again, like I have blown it yet again. And he is saying, keep coming to me. Keep hearing me. And keep practicing what I tell you. And then keep coming to me. And keep hearing what I tell you. And keep practicing. That's grace, friends. That our Savior is ready to receive Broken people like you and me, sinful people like you and me, who say, Lord, Lord, and yet don't do, he says, keep coming, keep coming. I'm the rock, the rock of your salvation. Keep coming to me and keep hearing what I say and keep practicing it. And notice the order of the words. 
you have to come to Christ, then we listen to Christ, and only then are we empowered to do what Christ tells us to do. It's not by your own strength and your own power. You are saved by grace, and now we live by grace. Keep coming, keep listening, and keep doing all that He has empowered you to do. All of us are saying, Lord, Lord. But my friends, what are you going to hear on that day, the very last verse, when complete destruction comes, the day of judgment comes, and you say, Lord, Lord, what are you going to hear? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or, apart from me, I do not know you. It's a matter of life and death. A relevant question for you today, and for me as well. Keep coming, keep hearing, and let's keep practicing. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you give us a sure gospel that's found only in a sure Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, as we put our hope and trust in him, because he has called us savingly to himself, and we now, with our mouth, professing faith that Jesus is Lord, now, Lord, help us to practice that in our daily living. Help us to do what it is that you've commanded to do. Not that we could earn salvation. We've already been given the gift of salvation. But in response to that salvation that you've given us by grace, help us now to live by grace today and every day that we might hear and long to hear those words someday soon. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's